0: I'm on, good evening. Welcome again to Grace Bible Church. We're glad to have you here with us. And Joel, I feel like I'm a little loud. Am I loud in the back row? Can you hear me back there? That's the first question. Okay, and then am I a little loud maybe too? Okay, a little bit loud. I bent my thing a little differently there. My name's Dave, and I'm the uh, teaching pastor here at the church. And so haven't had a chance to meet all of you yet, and I'd love to meet you in person after the service if you could, uh, get a chance. We're doing a series in uh, Ephesians that we're calling New Identity. And what we've been doing the last three weeks is just kind of camping out in the first chapter of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14 is one long run-on sentence in the Greek. So what we've tried to do is kind of carve it up into bits based on uh, looking at the action of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we talked about that. It's, It's one God, three persons. And so we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together. It's not like it's real easy to divide that up, but you do see kind of a focus As you move through these sections and so now we're going to focus tonight on the action of the spirit to love us and we see this This marking and sealing action of the holy spirit that that he seals us and he owns us And so we're in ephesians chapter 1. It's page 976 If you'd like to grab one of the bibles that are under the chairs, you could pick one of those up and and turn to 976 We'll be in ephesians chapter 1 and as we called this series "New Identity," what we're trying to address is how we're tempted to uh, define ourselves or identify ourselves with whatever is is like right in front of us, right. So, uh, the immediate circumstances that we tend to be struggling with right now, our temptation is to define ourselves by that. So, you may be sick, right? You you may be struggling physically with something, and you're tempted to define yourself by that, just by the brokenness that you're experiencing right now, or or you may be. Continually tempted and, and falling into a habitual sin, and so you're you're tempted to define yourself by that sin. Uh, you may just be sad, right? You may just be having a hard time. You may be depressed and tempted to define yourself by just how you feel right now. And the scriptures tell us again and again that we should define ourselves by what God has done, by His action on our behalf. We saw two weeks ago that He adopted us in love. The Father adopted us and made us His child. We saw last week the Son. Uh, redeemed us through his blood he died for us and this week we're going to see that the spirit marks us and stamps us as belonging to him so we're going to read verses 11 through 14 and try to uh, absorb what he has to say to us tonight says in verse 11 in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will it's a huge huge concept there He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12 says, So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed, you were marked. Verse 14 says, This spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Let me pray for us and ask God to uh, teach us tonight. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your Holy Spirit and we ask that your spirit would apply your word and help it to sink in, that we would believe it. God, help us not to just define ourselves and identify ourselves with our immediate circumstances, but help us to uh, recognize the new identity that we have in you and in your son, Jesus. We pray that you would do this uh, for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, several years ago, I had some uh, friends that had a little dog. Uh, her name was Tabby, and she was a real hyperactive dog. I, th- I think maybe a Weimaraner. Weimaraner? How do you say that? I, I don't know dogs very well, but anyway, she was this dog with this really beautiful, smooth coat, and just, just hyper. She was a hunting dog and did stuff with them. But but also, if she ever got out of the gate or got out of the house, she would just be like, she would take off, right? And this was, I, I guess, when she was younger. I was a little kid, so kind of fuzzy memories here. Uh, but I think she was still kind of puppyish at this stage, maybe, you know, a couple of years old, and she would just just bolt. And one time she got out and they just couldn't find her. She, they, they drove to kind of the usual spots in the neighborhood where they would pick her up sometimes and, and didn't see her there. Um, and they searched, they searched, they called the uh, shelters in town and they couldn't find her. Uh, and these friends actually lived in Temple, Texas. And after a couple of weeks, they had they'd given up, right? They were thinking, it's, she's gone, you know, they were sad, uh, they were upset about it, and they got a call from a shelter in Waco, Texas, and for those of you who knew the area, that's like 30 miles away, okay, so they were living in Temple, and they got a call from Waco, from the shelter, saying that they had found dear little Tabby, that she had made it all the way to Waco, and she she didn't drive there, like she ran there, okay, the long way, we don't know how that happened, but finally they found her, and the reason that they were able to call my friends, the owners, was because she was marked, right? She had a tag. If you have a dog, most of you have a, a tag that is, that is marked, right? It's engraved. It has their name on it. It has your name on it. It has your phone number on it or your email address. And it says, this, this one belongs to me. And, and what I want you to get is in the text tonight that we're looking at, it's telling us that the Holy Spirit has, has marked us, that he owns us. We, we belong to him. And that's this concept of a seal we, we are sealed, and it's this, it's this concept in the first century where they would take an envelope and they'd put a wax seal on it, and a king would have some kind of special stamp on his ring or maybe something he would wear around his neck, and he would impress that seal. And so it's this mark that shows ownership. And what I want you to understand tonight is that no matter how far you feel like you've wandered, like you may feel like you've wandered far from home, like Tabby was 30 miles away and, and for all they knew she was lost. You're still marked, that that God says you belong to me, and that's the hope that we have tonight. Is that no matter what our current circumstances are, no matter how crazy things are right now, we belong to Him, and nothing can take away that mark. Nothing can uh, remove that seal. We are we are His, and that's the hope that we take in this this section of Scripture tonight. The the first thing that I want us to look at is is that this is about God's glory and and not about ours. So I'm saying saying it this way, the Spirit marks us for God's glory. So this stamping, this sealing, this marking of us as belonging to God is about Him. It's about His bigness and what He's doing in the world. And this, frankly, would be a scary thought if we hadn't just seen last week in the previous verses that God is gracious, that He's a forgiving God, that He's a saving God, that He's a redeeming God, right? We saw that in the previous verses, that Jesus redeems us. He sets us free by His, by his own blood. He gave Himself for us. And so if we know that about God, then we can actually rest in a God that is all about his own glory, right? If he's all about his own glory, but he's not necessarily gracious, that's kind of a scary thing, right? So if God is just big and he controls all things, it says here in verse 11 and 12 that he's he's working all things for his will and he's moving all of history and space and time and he's controlling all things. That's, That's basically just scary if he's not good. But here we see in this broader section that he's great and he's kind. He's both really strong and he's really gracious at the same time. We have to hold those things in tension and not let those things pull apart in our mind. We have to hold those together and, and then we can, actually, we can actually find some rest in the fact that it's all about God's glory. When it's all about God's greatness, we can actually rest in that as his children, right? Because we're, we're his little ones and he's big and he's got control of things, and that's okay because we know that he loves us. So there's, there's a sense of rest that we have here. I want to read again verses 11 and 12 where I'm getting this kind of concept from here. So he marks us for his glory. It says in 11, in him we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So we have all these big words here, right? We have the concept of Uh, predestination. We have the purpose of him. It says he works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, right? So he's working things out for the praise of his glory. He's not just working things out in some arbitrary, flippant way, but he's working things out so that we as people would actually praise him and say, God, you're good. I, I love you. You are awesome. And so again, we see that joining together of these two concepts. He is big, so big, it's almost frightening Yet he's gracious. He's working things out for the praise of his glory. Now, there's a couple of things I want to unpack for you here in the text. One is something here in verse 11 that you can't really see real well in English. It only shows up in a couple of English translations. Um, In the Greek, uh, this word, we have obtained an inheritance, it says in the ESV, and there's variations in in other translations. Basically, you you could define this in two different ways. In the English, you could say uh, either we have an inheritance or we are... God's inheritance. It's basically two different ways, and they're both completely valid. Uh, in the Greek, there's uh, well, in English we have active voice and passive voice, right? Like active voice is I did something, uh, and passive voice is something was done to me. Well, in the Greek, you have this other thing called the middle voice, which is kind of this uh, strange in-between thing that's that's a little bit different. And so here in the Greek, it could either be translated as middle voice, which is how they've translated. Um, that we've obtained an inheritance, we've, we've gotten an inheritance ourselves, our, our future riches of heaven. Or it could be translated passive, that uh, we are the inheritance, that we've been inherited, that, that we're God's inheritance. And so it could mean either one in English. And so since it's kind of hard to go both ways, translators kind of pick one and go, well, I think it's this one, or I think it's that one. Scripture really shows us both, right? In just a few verses, in verse 14, it's going to say, yes, we have this inheritance, and it's very clear there that there's the future inheritance that we have, heaven, right? We're we're millionaires. We we inherit heaven. We get the, the inheritance of the firstborn son, Jesus Christ, and we look forward to heaven and all things being made right. So we know that's true. So we know this first translation is true, but there's also what I want you to see, the second idea that we are God's inheritance, like that he sees us as his treasured possession. He sees us as his reward. And so I want to read a few Old Testament verses for you to to get that because I think that helps build the case for a God who is both huge and a God who in his hugeness inherits and adopters, adopts us and we're his treasured possession. So I just want to throw out a few verses here uh, to give you that context. I, I would just maybe, if you want to just write down where these are, that's fine, but don't try to flip because I'm going to go through these really quickly. It's Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 4, and Deuteronomy 9. And I'm also going to jump over to Isaiah 40. Okay, so I'm just going to read these verses so out of Deuteronomy... 7, 4, 9, and then Isaiah 40. Deuteronomy 7 says it this way, The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest. So he says, I chose you to make you my treasured possession. I didn't choose you because of how awesome you were. You were actually puny, he says. "You, You were the fewest. You were this small people group, this small tribe, but I chose you to make you my treasure. So I want you to see, I want you to absorb that. God is saying to his people in the Old Testament, but it's parallel now in the New Testament, I, I chose a people for myself because that delights me to, to make you my treasure. He says it this way in Deuteronomy 4. The Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. So there we have that exact same word. He's chosen you to be his inheritance. He's made you his inheritance. Deuteronomy 9 says, this is Moses talking to God. In Deuteronomy 9, he says, For they are your people and your heritage, whom you brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. So the people of God are his heritage. They're his inheritance. They're his treasured possession. He's claiming us for himself, not because of how numerous or how great we are, But because of his delight and his love and his grace towards us. Isaiah 40 says it this way, and this is beautiful. Isaiah 40, 10 through eleven. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Recompense is another kind of fancy way to say his, his merit, his reward, his payment. Right? So he's saying his reward is with him and his recompense is with him. So who who is that? Or what is that? What is his reward? What is his recompense? Well it's his people, it says in verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So we have this image of God is this mighty warrior, you know, just striding through. He's scary. He's big. And he's gently gathering up his sheep and saying, this is my reward. My, my sheep, my people are my reward. They're my treasured Possession. So I want you to get that, that, that is in 15 other verses in the Old Testament, that he says again and again that we're his inheritance. We're his treasure. He delights in us. And so again, we see that that is for the praise of his glory. That the way this God, who is in control of all things, who is working all things out according to the purpose of his will, big, scary ideas that philosophically we don't even know what to do with those things, right? He's saying he's, he's working all these things out. to to claim a people for Himself, to draw us into His arms, to to adopt us as His children. We saw several verses earlier in the beginning of chapter 1. He's making us His own. That is is the encouragement to us. That is what should move our hearts to the praise of His glory, it says in, in verse 12. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. He's working all these things out according to the counsel of His will. He's working all things out according to His purpose. It has this scary word again here that we looked at a couple of weeks ago that we've been predestined. We said a couple of weeks ago, predestination is a, is a difficult topic and one that different Christians understand in different ways. And so I just kind of want to state plainly that I understand this to being in the most literal sense of the word. When it says predestined, it means God planned ahead. And he said, I'm going to save some people and decides and picks and chooses who he's going to save. And he, he saves us. It, it just means God saves us. That's all it means. Now, uh, we get all mixed up in our head and we get frustrated by that sometimes because we're trying to figure out, well, how can that be fair, right? And how can that, all that work out? Well, the text doesn't really answer that, so I don't have to answer that tonight, right? But but basically what he's saying is, is, this is something I'm doing. And again, the emphasis is he's an adopting God. He's a loving God. He's a claiming God. He's a rescuing God. Just the verses last week, he's a redeeming God. He's setting us free. He's forgiving our sin. He's choosing us. He's making us his own. How does all that work out philosophically? I'm, I'm not really sure, right? I know it works out in the context of faith. There's real a decision of repentance and faith I make to trust in Him. We'll see that here in just the next verse. But it says that He's doing these things for His glory and because He is working all things out according to the counsel of His will. And those are, those are difficult. And I'm not, not going to pretend it's not difficult, but I'm, I'm just going to press you that it's, that it's in the text. And we have to wrestle with it, but we can rest in it if we see that God is gracious. We can rest in it if we see that God is kind and he's this loving and gentle God who's saving a people for himself. And so I want to give you some context from John 3. It was really pretty cool that, that Chris was using that song, How He Loves Us Tonight, and, and even using those verses from John 3 because that was what I was looking at too going, going with tonight because I think it kind of tracks with where we are in the text uh, we hadn't really talked about my main points tonight. He just knew what I was going to be teaching, and so we kind of kind of met up again. You know, God kind of led us into the same place as we were preparing for tonight. Uh, but in John chapter 3, we have a discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus that I think gives us a picture of God's kind of big, in-charge work of his spirit. Uh, Jesus says basically the spirit goes where it wants to, and that we're saved by this work of the spirit that, that blows wherever it will. And that, again, that's kind of scary unless we understand that he's kind and he's gracious and he's a saving God. So in John 3, we have Nicodemus, who is this ruler of the Pharisees, coming up to Jesus and saying, Hey, basically, what's the deal? And Jesus says, uh, you're not going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You have to be supernaturally reborn if you want to see the kingdom of God. And that kind of blows Nicodemus' mind. And Jesus says this in John 3, 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In Greek, the word wind and spirit are the exact same word, right? So there's, again, another play on words that we kind of miss in English because we have two words. It's the same word, so we could just say uh, the Spirit blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. I think of that the blowing of the wind and the sound you know you could think of the trees or think of wind chimes right I have a picture here of wind chimes anybody have wind chimes at their house and when the wind blows you hear the wind right you can't go out and see the wind and grab it and go I've got it here's the wind but you you see the effects of the wind you hear the wind moving and Jesus says this is what the spirit is like it's not something we can capture and put in a bottle like a genie the spirit goes where the spirit wants to go right but we see the effects of the Spirit in people's lives. We see the Spirit renewing hearts and transforming people. I, I love one chimes. Whenever we go into a store, I love to just go and ring all of them at once. It drives my wife crazy. You probably have like a kid that likes to do that in your family, but it just, I love the, the noise of the chimes, um, but that's not really what this point is about. So, the, uh, but the bigger point is Jesus is saying here that the Spirit moves where it wants to. And Again, I just want to reiterate this concept. When you see it in context of John 3, same kind of parallel to what we see in Ephesians 1, it would be terrifying that God says, I do what I want. If we just took that, that would be terrifying. That would be horrifying. A God who says, I work all things out to the counsel of my will. I I, I blow like the wind wherever I choose. I do whatever I want. That alone would be terrifying. But the Bible reveals a God who says, and I'm saving a people for myself. I'm giving my life to die in your place. I'm giving myself for you to rescue you from the clutches of sin. And so when we see God revealed as he is fully, he is both huge, bigger than we can fathom, bigger than we can imagine, and he's gracious and he's kind to us and he loves us. So he is in control of all things. He is working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? As it says in Romans eight twenty eight, he is doing that. As Joseph said in Genesis, the end of Genesis, Joseph goes through this horrible life. He's abused by his brothers. He's abused by other people. And he comes to the end of his life and he says, what you meant for evil, you're responsible. You're real human actors. You really did something evil. God meant for good. And somehow both of those things can be true. We know that God doesn't author evil. God doesn't come up with evil, but God is somehow working through the the evil circumstances are around or whatever language you want to use for that. He's somehow working through those things, through all things, for his glory and for our good. So we see that God is the biggest thing there is and God is the most gracious one that there is. He's both big and he's gracious and that should lead us to praise his glory. This, I think it's, it's good in context of John 3 to go back to, to the end of John 3, right? So in John 3 we see that the spirit blows where it wills. It it does whatever it wants to, but he also says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So again, we're reminded, Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save the world. He says in John 3.17, we're reminded of that grace. He's, He's pressing Nicodemus, he's pressing the religious people, probably his spirit is pressing you right now as you hear these things going, what, I'm not in control? Like, I don't, I'm not controlling things? God's actually in control? Yes, he's pressing you, and I think he wants you to be uncomfortable with that. But he also wants you to hear, but I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And John 3.17 says he didn't come condemning, he came saving. And we know in the end he's going to come back and he's going to come back in judgment, but this first time he came in grace and salvation, spending himself for us dying for us giving his life for us so what should be our reaction to that so what's our reaction to that i've spent a lot of time just on this first point um i think the, the reaction to this truth that god is both sovereign right he's in control of all things and he's gracious i think the biggest reaction we could have is prayer i think if we really believed this we would pray and if you're like me you don't pray as much as you think you ought you don't pray as much as you want to And I think it's because sometimes I don't really think he's in control of all things. Sometimes I think I am. Sometimes I think, well, not all things, but, you know, the things right here in my life, I think if I just apply myself and work harder and think more and do more problem solving, I can control the things I need to in my life. And so I don't pray to a God who says, really, he's in control of all things. Sometimes maybe I think he's in control of all things, but I don't think he really cares. So I don't pray for that reason. I don't think he's gracious. I don't really think he's kind. And so I'm not praying. I'm not taking my stuff to him because I think, well, God could fix it, but he doesn't care about me. The, the scriptures reveals God is this God who is both in control of all things and he works all things out for the praise of his glory, for our good, for, for grace to us. As his treasured possession, he loves us. And so we have to let that sink in. And as we let that sink in, we'll actually talk to him. I think we'll actually start praying. We'll start bringing our stuff to him, knowing that he can fix it and knowing that even if he chooses not to fix it, just like when Paul said, I've got this struggle, this thorn in the flesh, he came and he said, no, I'm not going to fix it because your uh, weakness is going to help you to realize my power and my grace in your life. So sometimes he'll say no to us, but again, we can trust that he's good and he's gracious and he knows what he's doing. And so that's not going to discourage us from bringing our stuff to him. We're just going to continue all the more to come to him, to talk to him, to bring our problems to him, and He's going to work things out in our life for His glory and for our good. Well, on to, on to point two. I spent, spent enough time there. I think the other thing that we see is that the Spirit marks us through our trust in Jesus. So back in Ephesians, our, our trust in Jesus is when this happens. This marking, this sealing of us happens. It coincides with trusting in Jesus. Now, we've talked about other things like predestination and God working before time, after time. All you know. So we understand the Spirit's probably doing a lot of crazy stuff we can't even imagine right but here right here it's defining for us we are marked by the spirit at the point of faith at the point that we trust in what jesus has done for us it says it in verse uh, 13 if you'll read that with me in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised holy spirit Important word there, when. These are uh, participles in the Greek, but that uh, because of those participles, we know that this happens at that time. It coincides with uh, when we believed, that's when we were marked. So if you trust in Jesus, if you believe what he's done for you, the gospel, the good news that Jesus gave his life for you. A few verses earlier last week, we saw the idea of God redeeming us. Jesus redeeming us by the power of his blood. He forgives us. So our, our summary of that is that Jesus lived the life we should have lived, and then he died the death that we should have died, so our sin is put on Jesus, and Jesus' perfection is given to us, and we can trust in that. That's trusting in the gospel. At the point of trusting in that, the Spirit marks you. The, the Spirit grabs hold of you. You're sealed. You're His. Now, there's other crazy stuff that the Spirit does too, Right? Like, if you've read the book of Acts, you see people speaking in tongues, and you see miraculous things happening, and just crazy stuff. And, you know, that's, that's not really a part of my everyday experience. Um, but I also know from the Bible that that stuff can happen. And I have friends who have experienced things like that. And so I, I trust that the Spirit can do all sorts of other crazy things that the Spirit wants to, right? John 3 says the Spirit blows where it wills. But I also trust that I'm not waiting for those experiences to get the Spirit. Like, if I trust in Jesus, I've got the Spirit. He he is in me. He's marked me. He's sealed me. And that's important for us to understand. There's other concepts we'll see even in Ephesians of the ongoing filling of the Spirit and the ongoing work of the Spirit in greater ways. We see even in Galatians this concept that we can kind of waver between trusting my own flesh and my strength and like I can do this versus trusting the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit is the language it uses in Galatians. So there's ups and downs of that life being led or not being led by the Spirit. And there's changes that can come and go in our life, but we have the Spirit. We're sealed. He owns us. We belong to Him at the point of trust. Through trust in Jesus and what He's done for you, you, you have the Spirit. The Spirit is yours, and we need to rest in that. We need to believe that. And we can want more of Him, and we, we can want to be filled to overflowing, and we can want to have greater experiences, and that's fine, but know that you've, you've got the Spirit. The Spirit is in you. You're you're filled with him already. You're sealed with him already. I have a a picture here to help us think about this moment of trust. I have a picture of an emergency helicopter. And so if you were in a bad flood and you're on top of a tree, this is what you would want to see, right? Uh, You would want the emergency helicopter to come by and and throw down someone to to harness you and pick you up. That would be a good thing. And you would say, thank you. I trust in you. Save me, please, right? If you're just walking to Starbucks here, there's a Starbucks on Tremere over here, right? Walking into Starbucks, you want a latte, and the emergency helicopter drops down in the parking lot, you'd kind of just say, uh, go away, right? I want a coffee, right? I mean, it would just be weird if the emergency helicopter comes down and you're walking into Starbucks. And so I think context makes a big difference. So when we hear these words about salvation, we hear these words about redemption, right? We talked last week about he sets us free, and we're thinking, well, I don't need to be set free, do I? I? I think we need to wrestle with that as Americans, that often we don't realize our need. We don't realize our need for the emergency helicopter. We don't realize our need for the salvation that it talks about. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So I want to press you a little bit to just ask you, have, have you come to that point of realization? Have you come to the point of realizing the emergency in your soul? Because we're the, we're the richest people in the world. We're we're the most powerful people in the world. And I mean, you may, be, you may be poor, I may be poor compared to a lot of other people in America, but when you compare us to the rest of the world, we're the richest people in the world. And, and so it's easy for us to think, well, you know, I'm okay. Or even just morally, like, I'm not that bad, right? I, I never punch my wife, and, you know, I'm nice to my kids most of the time. And, you know, you just kind of think I'm an okay person. And, and so the question for you is this. I would just press you this way. Are, do you always love people all the time the way that you should? Are you always as honest as you could be? Are you always as brave as you could be? Are you always making the wisest decisions you could make? Are you always acting in a way that glorifies and honors God as his image bearer here in the world? And I would say, if, if so, then you're fine. Then, then you don't need the emergency rescue. Th- then you're okay. Then, then you're perfect. And, and Jesus says, I didn't, come to, I didn't come to save the healthy. I came for the sick. And so one of the things he kept pressing the religious people with is you you need to recognize you're sick. There's something wrong in your heart. And just because you're decent or just because you're better than your neighbor doesn't mean you're whole. There's still something twisted inside of us, and we still need to be restored. We still need the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And when we come to that point, when we recognize that, when we trust in him at that moment, we're given the Spirit. We're sealed with the Spirit. John 3.16 again says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him, it's that same word trust I have on the screen. If you trust in him, if you believe in him, then you're not going to perish, but you have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. The last point I want us to make, I think is one of the hardest ones for us. It says the spirit marks us to guarantee our future. So our our future is settled because of what the Spirit's done. So if you go to the end of 13, it's talking about the the Spirit, right? We're sealed with the Spirit. And then 14 says, This Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we're waiting uh, for the full possession of our inheritance, right? So now this is back talking about the inheritance in the sense of not us being God's reward, but the reward we have of uh, the rights of firstborn sons, right? Uh, Jesus Christ is the real firstborn son. He's the king of the universe. He's inherited all things. He rules all things. He reigns forever and ever. And by adoption, by faith, we're in him, right? The the phrase that that is again and again and again in this section, in him, in him, in him. We're in him, and we get his inheritance, right? We we get the universe. We get perfection. We get uh, everything being made right. And so that's our future inheritance, but we don't completely have it yet, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm still sick. And I still sin, and I still wake up on Sundays and just want to go back to bed, right? I just, I just don't want to get out of bed that day. And, and so we're still in the, in the muck of the here and now. Um, I, I had a house back when we lived in Temple. I think God sovereignly used this to drive me out of Temple to come move over here. But I, I had this house in Temple that was an 80-year-old house, and we were remodeling it for four years, right? Which I don't recommend. It was a horrible thing. But um, I want to give you a picture here of, of what this looks like um, this is kind of like the house in process. This isn't my actual house. I just found this online. But right, this is, this is sawed up boards and trash and sawdust, right? This is a remodeling project while it's in process. Any of you ever done a remodeling project at your house? Some of you have done that sort of thing. And when you start off, you kind of have the vision of, man, it would be awesome to have this you know, new bathroom or this uh, fixed up kitchen or this added room, Right? Or just this cabinet that works and the door doesn't fall off all the time. That was our case. Um, and so, you know, you just have this vision of what it could be like. The finished project. You, you see what it could be. But we live here. We, we live with the trash and the sawdust. And that's the here and now that we live in. So the Spirit, he's saying in Ephesians 1, the Spirit promises us, guarantees that he's going to finish the job. Uh, back when we were doing this at our house, we would hire different people. Sometimes I would do stuff myself. Sometimes people would help me. Actually, Fred helped me a couple of times at my house over here. Um, sometimes I'd hire somebody. I'd hear that he could do a good job and then turn out not so much, right? It wouldn't really go well. Um, and so there were ups and downs with this, right? And you would, you'd always kind of want a guarantee. You'd always want an assurance that this person would finish the job. Some people just wouldn't finish it. They just wouldn't get it done. And what he's saying here is our guarantee is the Spirit, this miraculous, amazing thing that he saved us. I mean, that's a miracle. He saved us, and that, that should be a guarantee to us. That should be, hey, I'm changing things. I've already turned your life upside down. I'm going to finish the job, right? Philippians 1, he says, Paul says, I know that, the Spirit's gonna, that God's going to complete what he started. He's going to bring it to the day of completion. We should know that. By the work that the Spirit's already done, the Spirit's already turned our heart upside down and changed us so that we're not just about us, but now we're for the praise of his glory. Now we trust in what he's doing. Now we see that he's good. We we see that there's more to life than what we saw before. He's already done that incredible work, and that's a down payment. That's an assurance. That's a guarantee that he's going to finish the work. We can trust him to be a good workman, even though we're still in the we're still in the trash and the sawdust, right? And and what makes it harder is it's not it's not like me over here and here's my house and it's a mess, like I am the mess, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what we're seeing here. We, we are the mess. We, the trash and the sawdust is, is in me. It's not just me over here, and here's the mess, and all right, God, we're, when are you going to finish your job here? It's, it's me. God, when are you going to finish me? When are you going to complete me? We're, and we long for that completion. And Romans 8 is this great parallel we'll turn to in, here in just a second. We're, we're longing for this completion, and we're so sick of the sawdust and the boards and the trash and everything in our life. And he says, the Spirit is your promise. Spirit's you down payment. I, I've given you the Spirit. I'm going to finish the job. So flip over to Romans 8 with me and we'll finish up there. Uh, we'll finish there for the night. Romans 8, it's page 944 in the Black Bibles if you're following along in those, those pew Bibles. I guess we should call them chair Bibles. These aren't really pews. Um, Let's see what it says it, it really parallels all these concepts we, we have kind of a an, an expansion of what paul's already saying in ephesians 1 we have him saying more here in romans 8 romans 8 15 says for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry abba father the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god so that's that that's that supernatural act that he's already worked right if you already see that he's good, if you already know that he's a good and saving God, that's your promise that he's going to continue and he's going to finish the job. I mean, we're frustrated that it's still unfinished, that there's still a mess, but he's going to finish the job. And we have that down payment of the Abba-Father relationship, of the, God, you're good. I know you're saving me. I really wish you'd save me more quickly. I really wish you'd clean up the mess right now, but I, I trust you. I, I know that you're, you're doing it. And so I'm going to, Trust that you are working all things out according to the counsel of your will for your glory, and that's also for my good because I'm your child. I'm your treasured possession. So, says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and, and if children, then heirs. This is an inheritance concept. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So that's the verse that we like to just snip out, right? It's a part provided we suffer with him, right? We, we don't want that part. We're like, yes, we're heirs. We are his children. We want to inherit. And then he says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We're, we're going to follow in his footsteps. We're going to go through the, this, again, this, the sawdust and the boards. I don't know how to say this, but we're going to go through the, the reclamation project. He's going he's gonna to shave a lot of rough edges off us in the, in the process, and it, it will be painful. Verse 18 says, But I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's going to be so good. It will be worth it. It will be worth it. Verse 19 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So saying all of creation is groaning with us. We're groaning. Paul's saying, yes, we groan. We want this to be done. We want it to be finished. We want there to be all things made right. No more crying, no more pain, no more tears. We don't want to sin anymore. We don't want to be sick anymore. We don't want our bodies falling apart on us. We don't want to wake up sad anymore. We want to be done. And he says all of creation is groaning along with us. But all of it is, is with us and longing for that revelation of us, our unveiling as the sons and daughters of God. The revelation of us, the completion of the redemption of our bodies, healthy, whole bodies. Verse 24 says, In this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So if you're like me, sometimes you have these prayers and you pray and you're just rattling off stuff and you're like, that doesn't even make sense, right? Like, how could God hear that prayer? I don't know what I just said. Just saying the Spirit's actually praying for us. Like the Spirit's praying above and and uh, underneath and around and he's he's praying for you. you you may not know what to say you may be a new believer. and you're thinking these these people know the right language to use i don't know the fancy prayer language the spirit prays for you you don't have to have the right words he'll pray above and beyond and around the words that you even know how to speak it says the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So again, that's our faith that God is working all things for his glory and our good. And those things are connected and we can trust him. And we can say, you know what, God, frankly, it scares me that you're in control of all things. I'm not so sure about that. But I see that you're gracious and you've revealed yourself through jesus as the saving and forgiving god so i'm going to rest in that i'm going to trust in that even though philosophically i can't even make sense of it i'm going to trust that you are that big and then even the terrible things that i hate right now i can trust that somehow you're going to work those for good so i'm here going to reverse those things and you're going to use them to conform me to the image of your son it says in verse 29 for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's our hope, that he's actually shaping us to be more and more like Jesus. He's he's teaching us how to love each other, how to love him. He's shaping us, conforming us to the image of his son. And he's going to finish the work that he started in us. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us and we, God, our minds are blown by how big you are, but also how gracious you are. And I pray that we would be overwhelmed to the praise of your glory. Help us to trust you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. I would uh, love to meet you again if I haven't met you in person. And uh, if you have any questions, any questions I might be able to, to help you uh, start to answer, I'd love to do that for you as well. God bless you. You may be dismissed.